Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Two weeks ago, David McBride pled guilty to three charges to do with stealing Commonwealth property and giving it to the ABC. That information helped them create the Afghan Files, an expose on some of the crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. Three years later, the Government Commission Brereton Report revealed senior army leadership covered up 39 murders of Afghan civilians. Very kindly, in what's obviously an incredibly stressful season for McBride and his family, he actually let me interview him. Now, I want to be clear about what this interview is and what it's not. Quite simply, it's McBride sharing his life story, having a laugh, reflecting on his observations of the culture while in Afghanistan, and him giving some ideas to ensure that we'll never again need another Brereton report. Take this as a really unique insight into the Afghanistan war. What it's not is a bitter reaction to the judiciary or a call for revolution. Whatever you may think of the process, McBride's made it clear that he'll willingly submit to the sentence. It's also not a glorification of crime or a rally against law enforcement or the military. At the end of the day, McBride's central argument is that only some in the military dishonoured the high standing of their fellow soldiers by engaging in crime and caring more about its appearance than its character. That being said, if you're a parent listening to this, it's probably not for anyone pre-high school, and if you have a teenager keen to listen to this, I'd recommend you listening along with them. We do a weekly podcast on all parts of history that comes out on Sundays, and if you're interested in finding out more about McBride's story, he just released a book about it. He also nearly forgot to plug it. Ben? Hello. P.Y.? Hey, mate. Life is quite crazy. Yeah. So, one day, you failed to get the house captain, <laughs> even though you branch stacked the year three vote with your sister. The next day, David McBride's on the podcast. Mm. Welcome, David McBride. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, it is quite strange because I, I was feeling particularly sensitive after my trial and not knowing um, whether to look at YouTube or not. And I, uh, it selected videos for me to look at and I saw the heading of Australian Faces uh, Unlimited Press. <laughs> and I it was a bit of a sure clickbait title. I looked and I clicked on it and then I, there was this sort of animated guy which may or may not look a bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it And I kept on watching it really did just pop up by accident. And then I, I thought, oh, this is pretty good actually. And then I was like, oh, that was pretty good. And then I watched the whole thing and I showed it to my family. <laughs> I was said to them, I think at first I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, funny enough for a person in my position who's facing life in prison, but I still get very, I get YouTube anxiety and I don't know whether I want to watch things about myself. So I said to the family, should we watch this? And they were like, don't be so chickish, Dad. Of course we should watch. <laughs> they said, put yeah. it on the TV. And so um, we watched it together. We couldn't get to work on the TV. We watched it together and they said, yeah, that's good. They agreed. They said, that, that, that illustrates it quite well for me. So I immediately uh, sent you a message saying, look, Mike, I've got a 16-year-old kid who was like, yeah, that was good. I understood that. Um, and then uh, you re uh, replied to me um, 
that night and um yeah now here i am on the way out of sydney and uh with you and your friends in apartment and yeah it's it's sometimes uh, truth is stranger than fiction well you've gone from the channel 10 studio with hamish mcdonald which is really glossed to literally i'm propping up my mic with four bunnings chairs here <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know they've got more lights but i don't know this is uh I, I, it's more homely. I, yeah i'm pretty happy here actually mm. i know that um uh, it, it's great uh, to be able to return the favour and um, you meet some real people, I guess, and I used to live around here and it's, so it's pretty, uh, yeah, we, I couldn't be happier actually to be uh, to be doing a show. This is the sort of stuff which I think is so important in that you, you're not pushing any particular barrow, you're you know, a- advertising, you're just basically talking about uh, issues and, um, and people, and uh, I think it's actually really, really important. We have you do it a bit in a light-hearted way, but this is the sort of thing that, um, which you know could save the world. I think the algorithm works. I, I've I've never felt so flattered for a podcast that primarily talks about our failed experiences in primary school. So <laughs> well, that's good. I'm very flattered at the review. I was chatting to you very briefly off air before. You more or less lived my dream in that you were on reality TV in Britain in the 1990s. Apparently, you've never actually spoken on air about that experience. Yeah, it's pretty much true. I don't remember ever having uh, spoken about it. <laughs> it's one of my dark periods. Oh, oh really? Uh, no, it's not really. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> I did, um, and, and funnily enough, in the on the on the when you write a book which I didn't really know, but the first thing they print is the cover mm. uh, long before you finished it. And um, and they printed on the back, oh, he did a reality TV show or whatever. And I didn't write about it. And so uh, people who might buy the book on the basis of the back cover will be saying, oh, I'm going to clickbait. Going, oh, there's nothing in it about reality TV. So uh, um, here we go. I'll give you the exclusives to a chapter. It was kind of a, you know, from one extreme to the other. I was working, I'd been in the British Army, I'd tried to get into the British SAS, I'd failed. Um, and then I uh, decided to go and do something, um, you know, something sort of manly involving guns and, and, and went out to Africa and uh, was a security consultant in Africa. But And that was just a little bit too crazy, you know. And then um, I could see that I couldn't do that forever. Uh, there, there, there were some people that did, but they were all pretty nuts. And... Um, so I was looking for something else and I was back in the UK on leave and, and I ran into uh, some friends, uh, friends of friends, that you know, as, as you do, as you will you will all do, you will get offers from people that, uh, who vaguely know you and they knew, they said, we're looking for someone with a military background to do this TV show, which was a pilot to begin with. And I was like, oh yeah, that'll be good. I was better than going back to Africa and getting, you know, possibly killed. Um, and so they gave us these uh, sort of uh, four-wheel drive cars and we had to drive around the country. And, and it was one of the first... It did a lot of things right. It was one of the first shows in these sort of mid-'90s where they gave you your own uh, video camera and they said, you know, just film. You do the selfie filming all the time wherever mm. you go. And... Um, uh, and occasionally, you once a week, you'd get a, a full crew to come and film you. And um, uh, I, it, I think the same studio would um, made wrote whatever uh, race around the world. You know, they could see that there were some things about it which were which were right. And and in fact. Um, uh, the concept's been on Australian TV recently. It's got a different name or something, but it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I was chatting my family about that. Yeah. I mentioned to my, my mother-in-law where I was explaining uh, a bit about your background and explained the reality TV. I don't know why that was the first bit mm. of your... Yeah, you have more salient points in your life that have come to light recently, but I explained that he was on a reality TV show recently and my mother-in-law was like, oh, yeah, Australia's doing that right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's quite funny. It's, uh, it's obviously a concept that hasn't quite died. Mm. Um, I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, um, 
uh, it was called Wanted in the UK. It's called something else here. But I guess because people do like the idea of being contestants, it is quite funny to say, you know, what would you do mm. if, if you're on the run and everybody thinks about where they would hide. And, and it was quite exciting. I mean, I had to – once I filmed them with my camera, they were out of the game or something. Mm. And when you were trying to track people and get close to them and, and get that money shot, it was quite exciting. Um yeah, it was kind of fun. It was dark for me because I had to track down these grannies. There were three trackers. One was a, a young female. It was like they tried to make it like some sort of like a fictional movie. One mm. was like a you know boffity guy with glasses, and he was sort of like the you know the, the IT guy in the Mission Impossible movie or something. I think yeah. when I watched an episode when making the video, I think yeah, that was the guy that met, I saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they met Paul. He was a lovely bloke, and he was just like a sort of like he was like the researcher for the show, and they said, "Right, you're going on screen." <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I don't think he particularly wanted to do it. But uh, yeah, and I was meant to be the sort of macho guy, and um, uh, you record a few of them. It was kind of it, it sort of became such a whirlwind driving around England, going from town to town to town, and and, and you realise that all of these towns eventually start to look the same and it was very lonely you're on your own and I got quite tired of it and then I got humiliated because there were these grannies I caught these young girls hid in their cupboard that was what they in the part they loved that I got inside their cupboard and I filmed them from the cupboard guy I think and they were like they were really ditzy they were you know oh I wonder where he is (laughs) I think he doesn't know where we are anyway so that was they loved that but um uh, then there were these grand, they were fifth. They weren't even grannies. I know, but they were fifty-year-olds, you know, the same age as me now, and they um, and they just went. You know, I couldn't catch them. You know, and so they were like, oh, you know, he can't get the grannies or whatever. And um, um, but yeah, it was it, it wasn't really like they were actually running away. You know, it's a TV show and you mm. go and hide with your go with your parents. But of course, fifty-year-old women in well, men, for that matter, are kind of invisible. Yeah, you notice our athletic people, but yeah, you would you actually don't really notice middle-aged people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <Shuffling> <laughs> around the supermarket. <laughs> Next time, down, I need to make a mental note of how many middle-aged people there are. <laughs> See around. It's probably not going to offend your listeners. Yeah, but, um, but it's the sort of thing I've wanted to do. It. Um, it, it was a good lesson for me because it was. It, I didn't really. You thought, I thought TV will be great. It'll answer. It'll sort of kind of glamorous and it'll it will solve a lot of problems. And it was kind of well was well paid at the time. But I was actually. It was a really sort of unhappy time. Life lessons for your your viewers, your listeners. Um, it was the opposite to the military, where um, people might shout at you and say you're an idiot. Uh, uh, I can't believe you did that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you'd say, mm. yeah, it's more my fault, like, oh, but whatever. And then, um, but public, outwardly, they'd support you. No one would ever run you down in public. They might mm. shout, you know. And TV was the opposite, you know. They'd say, I oh, love your work, love your work. And then they'd say, oh, we, we hate him, we've got to get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> it, was the, it was kind of the opposite to the army. Everyone was stabbing each other in the back while smiling. Because... Yes, and it was just a really a kind of unhappy time. It was a nice lesson for me that all that glitters is not gold. Yeah. And, and that I uh, I thought it was going to be great and it was quite a toxic environment. I think, you know, it would have been less dangerous uh, to be in Africa as a securities consultant. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, but, yeah, you learn those lessons. But I, I, still, I still wouldn't mind doing something in TV um, – Something with a bit of heart and something where you do it is a, it is a fantastically powerful medium. Once you get out of that commercial, mm. I mean, I think with the streaming services, I mean, look at look at this podcast. Once once you get out of the grips of, um, you know, sponsors and commercial realities, and it's a fantastic medium for for actually getting some change done. I mean, mm. look at your own podcast. It doesn't have to. You don't have to be talking about. Um, huge issues but uh because you're you know likable people with you know sensible opinions it, that just i think that's just powerful for people to hear that and so they you don't not everyone you hear is trying to sell you something mm. that's the problem with and, and to hear that someone just talking about their day or their or their 
primary school uh, humiliation. Whatever it might be, it's very reassuring for people. <laughs> well, I've got plenty of. Remember when we're on the subject of primary school humiliation? Oh yes, please, please. I've got a few. I've got a few. I need to vent about myself. <laughs> Prizes I didn't win and should have won. <laughs> well, we've, we've like, we not to. That's a very universal experience. Yeah, and I know you learn about politics early. Yeah. Right? And yeah, the well, smartest kid doesn't necessarily win the prize. Exactly. As Ben got vice captain in, in primary school. <laughs> um, I've got a friend that still, we still have a little bit of argy bargy. We're best friends in other ways about who, who should have won the judo cup back in. Uh, oh, Jay. I've had a technical difficulty. Jake's just pulled cord out. Oh my god! Are we back on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never worked with animals. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. Not, not to undercut your um, rather profound point. Then we actually have commercialised our primary school experience by making it a Patreon exclusive podcast. <laughs> well, that's all right. You're allowed to sell your story, but when you other people are really low, you, I don't know. I don't want to offend any of your sponsors. You might, you might be sponsored by. No, we are. We shampoos companies, and we're, we're looking for sponsors. We don't have any. You've got beautiful hair. Yeah, you could be sponsored by shampoo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, I, I think it's a really uh, and some sometimes I think there's been a lot of negative evolution in the world. Uh, certainly in terms of mainstream media, I think there has. But one thing where there has been positive is podcasts as a beautiful influence and mm. um, and streaming services as well. But we didn't have anything like the quality that you guys uh, that it's available to you you know there was a bit like the ice cream chocolate vanilla and strawberry and um in that there were the, the three commercial stations most of whom played uh american tv um which we didn't realize at the time because we weren't very sophisticated that the whole purpose of it was to put ads on for uh you know fly spray and toilet paper and whatever <laughs> and um uh, yeah, there was, and all the shows were very dumbed down. Mm. You know, you couldn't make a sophisticated show that wasn't like, you know, Boy Meets Girl or, you know, you, 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 but the, their streaming services, you see things which are quite niche and quite challenging sometimes. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, you know, they would never have got made when mm. I was young. Um, so that is, that's an improvement. And, and the same, pot, they didn't have, uh, even on radio, you didn't have podcasts like this. People like yourselves talking about your, your, your truth, real issues, and and other people like you listening to them. Mm. I mean, that's actually that's a beautiful. And I've, only when I verbalise it to you now that you realise that that's something which is which is you know quite amazing. You either were on a mainstream channel. Um, or you didn't exist. Mm. Mm. And one of the things that I found quite interesting in researching your story was, because I encountered you through Friendly Geordies and Michael West, mm. and so, you know, not famous for their ardent support of the Liberal Party, but as I went back and researched, I was quite surprised to actually see that you'd run for office. For the it Liberal was, Party? It was, was it, it was when, that was when Bob Carr was Premier, is that right? Bob Carr was Premier, yeah. He was the local member in the seat. I know it's quite it kind of funny. And again, it's it's a bit like um, one of those uh, you know crazy life stories um, where you go from from one uh, thing to another and not quite explain. Because I had been a member of the Labor Party, I, I'd come back from Britain not because of any particular allegiance, but I was a fan. You know, it sounds terrible now, both in the book, but. Um, of Tony Blair. Oh, it was the bees knees in the nineties. Yeah, was- well, before Iraq, because yeah, he settled the um, probably with the American help or something. But he, yeah, he's you know there was peace in Northern Ireland, and having been a soldier in Northern Ireland, having it been such an intractable uh, problem, and you know people I worked with dying and things like to see, just you know that was a dream come true to actually see that there was you know that they could get um, a ceasefire and peace accord. Um, and uh, I thought, yeah, I thought he was like the man. So I joined the Labor Party when I came back here. Um, and I didn't mind it at all, actually. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. But then I, And then I did the TV uh, uh, documentary series. Um, and I wanted to make my own uh, uh, TV show, and, but I couldn't get funding for it. And um, I, uh, yeah, someone, my old football coach... <laughs> 
my old rugby coach was a Liberal Party member. And he needed, Surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and he needed a staffer. And I, and I, so I, I just said, oh, you know, I needed a job. And it, it, it makes, it, it actually, it, ironically, um, uh, and it's coming up now. The the, uh, the Juice Media just did did something about the uh, the two party system, the duopoly, as as I like to call it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a friend from friend of mine. Always thinks I'm stealing her phrases, but um, it, it, they're really interchangeable. You know, it, it's like Ford and Holden, and the idea that they're really that that different it's just it's a bit of a joke I mean you and I knew that at the time I was a staff I told them look I'm actually a Labor Party member and they just said I oh, don't worry about it. Mm. don't don't renew your membership but um you know, soon enough, you know, and I think that the unfortunate thing is that would probably be the case of all of them. People like, well, you're too young to you to. But you could name half. You could name plenty of key people. And there are very few, except in fact, look at Albo now, who couldn't be in the other, couldn't quite easily be in the other party. You know, maybe not Dutton. Yeah. Um, but the. Pretty much everybody else, you could you you could imagine in a, in a, in a slightly different world that they were actually representing the other party and, and in a seamless kind of way, mm. because they can either be self-made uh, people um, who've come up with public education, you know, or Kevin Rudd, for example, he could have easily been, you know, uh, someone suggested he he gone liberal, but his wife was a Millionaire, and mm. still is, and, and, and nothing wrong with that. But I mean, you could imagine with, with the with a flip of a coin, mm. most of those, but their their real their their true ideology and skill is professional politics, mm. not actually any ideology. And well, that's one of Friendly Geordie's arguments for kind of yeah keeping the Labor Party. Obviously, he was ardently Labor, but he's really concerned about the direction of you get rid of all your kind of uh, blue-collar Labor Party members, you end up with just career politicians. Um, longer the days gone of Ben Chifley, the train driver, Prime Minister, and so forth. Yeah. So, well, that's right, and I think he makes some good points. Um, he makes a lot of good points, and and uh, one of the things that he first has to shift, and we all have it. Um, and he made a, a really good point in one of the um, about the sort of, uh, for want of a better expression, mass media or the sort of um, what we used to consider was a sort of full spectrum of media. But he points out is really just all, all the one kind mm. of brand with slightly different tweaks, different flavors of the but same he message. Said, yeah, they all bash the unions, and they've all managed to make us think that they are really this big bad thing. Mm. Uh, and we all kind of half believe it, but it's not true. Mm. And we would um, would be much better off. Now he's actually won me over on that, and to say we'd be much better off with um, uh, a real. Um, kind of workers uh, representatives true, mm. truly and I, I can see that and you can see having in my own experience with fighting um, an, an ununionized for one thing about the defense forces it's effectively ununionized mm. and they, it relies on uh, people at the top just doing the right thing just mm. being good people in the same way that some the sort of anti-union free market people say uh, like the liberal the, the liberal ideology is that oh you know rich people employers will just do the right thing and they you know they they know how to um uh, look after their employees, free market, blah blah blah. Now, and and both of those, in theory, both of those arguments are just as good as each other. But um, I have seen that actually, it's the union <laughs> unions do good work. They save people's lives. They have got us out of um, without them. And if we were just up to this sort of generosity of the uh, uh, the bosses. We'd all be still down mines and sweeping chimneys, and, and mm. we would be dead. You cannot rely on on good people in power. There are some good people, but mm. generally they're not at the top. And, and most people, if they have a choice between having a a huge house and uh, giving their workers a pay rise, they'll take the big house. Yeah, of course. And so, when you then left politics and joined the Australian Army, was that? Did you notice a cultural difference between? 
when you so you, was your first deployment to Afghanistan in 2011. Is that yeah, right for memory? That's right. Yeah. And you was there was there much of a cultural difference that you noticed because you quite you speak quite fondly of your time in the British Army. Yeah, I did notice it, and and um, I talk about this in my book. Uh, and and it and it's in, in different ways. I, uh, the first thing I noticed, they're very professional, the Australian Army, um, in the sense, oh, they're very fit, uh, mm. fitter than the British Army, um, and uh, they're better better educated. Like the uh, when oh, wow. when I came to. Um, uh, join um, there was a, you know a young guy your age corporal or whatever who was signing me up and he was just a lance corporal like he was one step above the water man yet he was obviously well like like well spoken well dressed smart and that wasn't you wouldn't find that in the brief well rarely you know he, he, the, the, the standard because I think they're oversubscribed I mean that they actually knock people back um, so th- th- there was a very high standard, which I noticed. The British Army is much bigger. Mm. Um, Australian Army is quite small. I mean, it's it, 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 in in relatively comparison. And then there was also they had respect for me because I had an Oxford degree. Um, but they didn't. What annoyed me is they didn't really take my British Army experience seriously. They thought it was, oh, you know, um, it was only like five years before or something. But they uh, may as well. I mean, eighteen hundreds as far as they were concerned, they thought mm. we were using muskets or something. <laughs> and um, and uh, that was a bit strange. And it, often it was because they had this endemic Australian uh, idea that the Brits were chinless wonders. And and my father used to say the same. He didn't want me to join the Australian Army. He was like, oh, oh, the British, they bought into that whole, uh, it probably would have been in the equivalent of the Murdoch newspapers, uh, you know, 100 years ago, saying that the British sipped tea uh, on on the beaches while the Australians died at Gallipoli or something, which is not actually true. (laughs) More Brits actually died in Gallipoli than Australians did. Yeah. more French even, um, and um, or in that area. So it's kind of, but it's one of those myths which is hard to, to place. And yet the, and I, I noticed when I started to have problems with the ethics of the senior leaders of the Australian Army, um, I found that they were better in the British Army because, ironically, for all the reasons that the Australians said it was not, that people were part-time officers, that is, what they call chinless wonders, and they, they couldn't shoot as much as, the, as, as their soldiers. They certainly couldn't beat their soldiers in a fight. Um, but uh, And they were only going to do five years of being an army officer and then go back to their, you know, father's bank or estate or something. But uh, they were actually in many ways better officers because... They um, they weren't in for life, and so they weren't interested in like doing anything sleazy in order to get promoted. And if mm. you said to them, "Oh, we want you to turn a blind eye to this dodgy political thing, but you know there's something in it for you," they would have just laughed at you and said, "As if I'm gonna, I've spent a whole my whole life doing the right thing. Mm. I'm not gonna just, you know, I couldn't care less about your promotion." And and that's actually a good attitude for a boss to have, Mm. where they they're more interested in their own ethics than they are in you know some sort of promotion. Mm. Whereas the Australian Army, they tended to be lifetime officers, and um, their promotion and and their their career progression was everything to them. Mm. And while some of them might have been very good people, if they it was much harder for them to say no to political bull mm. uh, because they're, they're thinking 40 years ahead sort of thing and where are they going to be. And So, you know, I found, I found that uh, admittedly I could have rose-coloured glasses. I mean, I, 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 but I did find that the uh, uh, there was a bit more of people standing up. For, uh, and, and, and it was actually, it, it was because they were sort of chinless wonders that they were good at standing up because that was the one thing they had to do. Mm. They couldn't shoot better. They couldn't do. They didn't try to be super macho. But if they ever hit the fan, the one thing they had to do, whether it was their fault or not, was to stand up and say, "I take responsibility." You know, because they knew that their soldiers, and again, probably because their soldiers had often come from. Uh, very poor backgrounds in England and they really had a choice of going to jail or uh, joining the army. Mm. Um, 
and uh, and the officers generally came from sort of privilege, and so you you would never do anything. Um, where you would leave your soldier who's putting his life on the line for you uh, and doesn't have much, um, leave them in a worse position. And funnily enough, it, often these, these things come up in the best dramas. Again, going back to uh, streaming services, <laughs> the HBO uh, Band of Brothers. Yes. And, the, and it's funny and it shows that kind of um, the topsy-turvy nature and... and um, Dick, whatever, the guy who becomes a sort of good officer and then when they go back to the civilian world, he ends up at work as the employee for the other guy because mm. the other guy's rich. And um, um, But he says he chides one of the other officers at some point for playing cards, poker with the soldiers and he says, uh, and he says, oh, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he says it does matter. You never you never need want to be owed. Oh, those soldiers anything or they owe you you know mm. you need to be straight up and down and um, and, that, and that is kind of right you know you need to sort of make hard decisions sometimes and mm. send people to deaths or uh, whatever but you see yeah you, you can't you can't mix it up with them too much and, and, and that that stuff is is kind of true, you know. That's what I was taught anyway. Mm. In the that much closer to the Second World War, perhaps, but we we did we didn't, you know. We had a lot of parties and that kind. Of, we had a lot of fun, but we did take that kind of stuff quite seriously. Mm. And you you um, but you never did anything with that 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 was a little bit underhand towards your soldiers. You know? And from what I've listened to kind of you making your argument forward is one of your key arguments isn't that you're a peacenik. It's like, actually, I believe in having a strong military and why I've done what I've done is I don't think we're adequately defended with our kind of current attitude that's within the the senior leadership of the army. If you were to take one, would you take the Australian army with its leadership issues or the British army that's inferior in terms of physicality but has a culture of taking responsibility and a culture of not engaging in anything shady. Yeah, the British Army, absolutely. And again, that's not not anything to do with it. the soldiers or the enlisted people. But you you need you're not going to win anything without uh, people who mean what they say and say what they mean. Mm. It's very very important. And we have just become so politicised in the Australian Army, and, and everything is flim flam. And look at this, look at that, and put out a brochure. We'll put out a brochure about how we've beaten China uh, after they've taken over the whole country. You know, green screen and and. Uh, and so we need to put a stop to it. I know if we ever lost, I mean, the way things are going at the moment, if we ever, you know, the Chinese would invade Darwin and we, we'd do green screen and say how good it is at Darwin and, and it, it's become where the, yeah, we, we care more about the message than the, than the reality. And well, I can, I don't imagine, it's not because of any terrible, you know, Bond villain. It, 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 it can see it happens by increment. Mm. But someone, someone at some point needs to say, no, we need to stop that. We need to get back because that's it. Uh, and I'm glad that you got that and it's hard to get that across because you, when you're in my position and you're fighting for your life, sometimes you need to try to be everything to everybody. Mm. But I'm not anti-war. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, a peacenik. I do think we, have, we need a strong defence force. If anything, I'd like my ideal scenario, which would probably never happen, is to, is to go back to the defence force and, and to, you know, to be a consultant about how it can be, uh, can be better. I'm not anti-war at all. I, th- I think we could have, you know, I, I don't, people have said, oh, surely Afghanistan was hopeless. And I, I don't think, well, I think we could have done some good work there but it's almost a spiritual endeavor and you need to if you're going to do war is a serious business and if it's going to work at all it needs to be based on some sort of solid ground where you're actually trying to achieve something there's a decent plan Mm. uh you're not doing anything underhand you're not doing for an appearance sake um and uh those kind of things need to be sorted out. It's too serious a business to mm. be done in some sort of half-hearted slapdash way. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it sounds a little bit corny, but it's hard to express it in any other way but to say it's it's almost a kind of a, 
uh, a holy calling thing. It needs if everything is aligned as it was in the Second World War. We were fighting the Japanese, we were mm. fighting the, the Germans, and it was pretty despicable. Um, uh, it can be a good thing and it can be a heroic thing. That's why I've got so much of my imagery is about that. Well, not to say that, that bad things didn't happen, um, but, um, I, yes, it, it, uh, if, if everything is aligned where you are fighting for something um, which matters and if you don't uh, manage to beat the enemy, they're going to take over your territory and colonise your people and uh, put them in, make them sex workers and execute the men. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worth fighting for. Mm. But if you're doing it for some sort of other spurious reason, and, and particularly because I take it so seriously in that I've, I get... I get so angry to see it, it um, uh, to see it twisted into something that it shouldn't be, and um, that uh, that gives me a certain amount of you know righteous indignation. But you're absolutely right. I'm glad that you said that. I'm not a peacenik. I, I, I just think that the military has to be done properly, and um, and those who stuff it up, it, it it's. It, it's a pretty serious offence. Hmm. And being on the ground in Afghanistan, if you're to say go to your, your average Afghan farmer or just go, go up the mountain somewhere in Afghanistan and you would ask them who would they fear more, the Taliban or the Australians, what do you reckon they'd say? Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, and that goes to the heart of, of, of everything went wrong. Hmm. Um They'd probably say, because they were quite sophisticated, because they didn't speak broken English, um, or they did speak broken English, because they, uh, uh, w- there was an assumption they didn't really know what was going on, they didn't know which units. They probably would have, um, <laughs> bizarre as it is, and perhaps they had a little bit of the, the magic from the, which we shouldn't discount from the mountains and from living there for century after century after century. They could probably say we fear some of the Australians mm. more than the Taliban, but others we know are quite all right. Mm. You know, they were that sophisticated. Yeah, they probably knew who the killers were, mm. um, and um, and knew who were going to be okay. Uh, but that de- also you can understand from their point of view. Um, if someone does come into your village and just blows away the, the disabled guy. Mm. Um, and that same unit comes back the next week and what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to think? And mm. that, uh, uh, not that they had any particular love for the Taliban, but we do have documented stories where people joined the Taliban, proudly joined the Taliban as a result of their disabled brothers getting his head blown off. Mm. And not so much that. This is one of the things that I tried to stress. People don't join, um, you know, become terrorists or whatever, well, freedom fighters, whatever whatever they call themselves, um, because of one incident. Mm. But what particularly will drive someone to the other will be if, if you you do come to the village, you blow away the disabled guy, and then you then you absolutely rather than apologise. <laughs> You absolutely swear blind that he was a terrorist carrying mm. a gun. Now that's what twists people around because they just think we are full of it. We didn't just make a mistake because they, they they often say, "Oh, we've lived in a land of war for forty years. Mm. We understand soldiers get worn out and they come into villages and they get angry and then they shoot people." Yeah, we're not going to cry about that. We're probably you know we do it out all their brothers and sons and things as soldiers that they, they they understand that. Mm. But what they can't, what they what really twists them up is is that we put this gloss of holiness upon us and we deny that we made mistakes. Stakes mm. and 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 that really that that's what twists them up. That we we have this holier than thou attitude, and we say, "Oh, it never happened. Mm. You're the bad. You know, you're a terrorist. You know." And then then they, they there's quite a good book called "I Am Pilgrim," which often you can find. Um, uh, it's a fictional book about a terrorist, and and it's um, you you can get more truth. Uh, from fiction than you can from non-fiction sometimes. Mm. And this is why I tried to make my book as as much like a novel as possible um, because uh, you, because you have emotion in, in novels. Um, and that's what... War is always... All war is 
all about emotion. Terrorism is all about emotion. We see the two-dimensional. It's a real danger, and this is what we did in Afghanistan. It's a real danger to have two-dimensional CCTV images of the Paris bomber on the planet, and we think, oh, that's a two-dimensional person. He's shouting out Allah Akbar. Mm. He's a bit of an idiot, and he's been brainwashed, you know. Um, but the, when you read this Iron Pilgrim, you realise that that's not that that two-dimensional <laughs> robotic kill doesn't exist. Mm. He's someone who grew up in a primary school and had had ambitions to be a doctor, and mm. uh, and then his father got killed, and then. Um, and then he couldn't get any justice for that, and then he was thrown into prison, you know, and tortured mm. for even trying to get justice, you know. And um, that's you know, and and that's that kind of emotion that had been blocked three or four times, mm. and uh, seeing that uh, our so-called institutions are forth, that's what turns people um, uh, th- that much, and that's what we need to be careful of of having that sort of two demand. And I I saw this myself because I was there in 2000 when doing the documentary series when the Taliban were in charge and mm. I met some of them and they were three-dimensional characters and not not heroes or but the same as us you could almost I make the point in my book that you could you know, the young Taliban could have easily been a captain in the British Army you know mm. and um and he had two cronies one of whom looked a bit mean uh and probably would would have killed you if he had the chance and one had just looked a bit stupid and that it was the same as a cross section and I admired this kind of captain guy he'd had his foot blown off mm. I often wondered whether he was the same guy that they drank out of his foot uh, he got killed years later but he uh, and um, in a battle fighting for the the airfield and he was just he was just a young soldier basically and uh, um and uh, yeah, right. And he was neither particularly bad, particularly good. And um, uh, they practiced uh, strict um, religion. But they, mm. in fact, we also found out things we didn't want to. We want to know. We one of the um, uh, the propaganda we put out was to say, "Oh, the suicide bombers—they're brainwashed. They're mm. almost, you know, they've got some sort of a." Hypnotism, you know, why would anybody do that? And, and they got um, some. The Americans, they are quite good at doing this. They got, <laughs> they got a PhD guy from I think from MIT to come across and do a study about 2006 mm. to find out why things were going worse in Afghanistan and why um, why there were so many suicide bombers. And they thought, I think they thought he was going to say, oh, they're getting brainwashed in Pakistan or something. Mm. And actually, he said. Well, cut a long story short, he said it's because you've invaded Iraq and now everyone in the Arab world hates America. Yeah. <laughs> he well, said they have more there are more people queuing up to be suicide bombers than they have suicide vests. Yeah, wow. And of course wow. the American didn't didn't want it the, the army didn't they shelved his report and then they kind of gaslit him and, and they joked him because they just did not want to get that news. Yeah, that's and that's that's, that's, insane. that's a kind of a typical story that they killed a messenger, even though he was just this kind of academic guy. And he was contracted by them to <laughs> yeah, tell them what they like, thought he would say. Exactly. That's and he didn't say he didn't say the same. Apparently, the Abu Ghraib guy who did the inquiry into Abu Ghraib and said, "Yeah, it's really bad." They were like, "Oh, that's good. Yeah, thank you so much for telling us that." Now you're getting sent to Siberia. Yeah. <laughs> well, just it defies our understanding of human nature that yeah. you know, yeah, soldiers in the hundreds of thousands get radicalized in one concentrated area. And it doesn't happen in like the West at anywhere near the same volume and to assume that it's just pure ideology and that circumstances don't play any role in driving people towards yeah, yeah. radicalism. Our, our own behaviour, we are blind to the fact that our own behaviour hasn't had a role in Yeah. Like those London bombers. Um, and it, it really stuck in people's throat that... Um, like people, they couldn't believe that they were homegrown, you know, mm. and then and and they kept on thinking, oh, they must have had some secret agent ninja come, you know. But it turned out that they were just you know, Islamic guys, middle class, who just were so angry about this sort of double standards and and and, and false information that they saw on the news every day, and mm. they needed to do something about it. Yeah, yeah, and without any real connection to the sort of Al Qaeda hierarchy. Yeah, um, 
and that people can um some people can get very angry about uh, 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 about just you know seeing so much propaganda um that uh yeah it's dangerous you know we can we can radicalize people in an attempt to sort of and that's one of the things that um that I worry about. You know, the truth is important, and we do more damage by not admitting um, small mistakes, mm. small imperfections, and trying to say everything is fine. I mean, that's that's a dangerous thing. Afghanistan or wherever it is, people can handle. I mean, we look at it, it with ourselves. You've got a nice place here. You you, you budget. Uh, you've made it really good, but you don't you don't. Uh, your wife, you don't, you don't, you don't go and buy the most expensive products. You understand that you've got to have um, some sort of keep things in perspective. Uh, you've started off with your podcast. You're not, you know, renting. We we actually make normal people are, are capable of making sensible decisions about what what to go with, and that things can't be perfect all the time. Mm. And you build up on it. And we need to be a bit more like that in government to be able to say this didn't work. Uh, that we tried that it didn't mm. work out this is all we can afford at this time but of course there, you know as I said one of the one of my arcs villain arcs or whatever it is in my story is having grown up thinking democracy is the answer and um if only the whole world could be democracies like us, but you can see that there are limitations in it um, with war, because the 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 party that 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 gives the most glossy, you know, mm. the most glossy brochure about how great it's going to be is the party that wins. Mm. It doesn't matter whether it's complete, but the party that gives you the bad news and says we can't have everything, yeah, doesn't is not going to get elected, and that's one of the it sort of encourages dishonesty. Mm. Um, and unrealistic things, you know, you can have lower taxes and better services at the same time. Mm. How many times have we heard that, you know, even though it can't, it can't make sense. Oh my God, the other party's going to tax you, and therefore, you know, you're going to die. And um, and people will the same sort of will we all do it? Who buy lottery tickets? We, you know, who expect um, unrealistic things to happen? We all have a, a we all have a by miracle cures for fat online (laughs) 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 we all we all have a little bit of a you know wanting magic to have a gum but I mean that's the the problem is that as as long as people get to vote um, uh, purely on uh, on just what what sounds better you're going to have people who are effectively uh, selling washing powder Mm. as as political uh campaigns and um uh we're never going to really get any kind of realistic action if anyone tries to do something which is which is a little bit hard Mm. and requires you know which is long term um heaven be i think that was one of the problems with the afghan war i mean um with the three-year terms and everyone is like, oh, all we need to do is to keep the positive messages up till the next election cycle. Yeah. We'll get re-elected and then it's someone else's problem. I mean, as soldiers, we were all guilty of that a little bit ourselves. We're like, you could see it. Everybody knew it wasn't going to work and mm. it was going to fall down. But whatever, what really? You know, so, like, as far back as yeah, every in 2011. You wow. That, so, ten see, years before yeah. the fact, but you could see that they were um, the, the people that helped us were only there because we paid them, mm. and it was Amer- it was it wasn't their money; it was American money. Mm. So, as soon as that dried up, we were going to be gone. Mm. Um, and the people who were fighting were there because that was their country, and they were getting. Rice. It was like the Viet Cong versus the South Vietnam. That's mm. ancient history for you, but there once was a war called <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> a long time ago in a country far away. But that's the same thing. Back when but, one war in a decade was considered news yeah. rather than. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But wars only went for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. God, it's funny to think that now. Yeah. See. Um, but that's, yeah, yeah the, the, uh, 
Yeah, we knew that. We could see that. But, of course, people don't think, well, just give out the good news, give out the good news, finish your tour, mm. get promoted, yeah, the election's coming, all the, you know, the, for the people get elected. And then, and then it's almost, it's even doubly bad. It's this sort of horrible system where you can make it the next guy's problem and you could like, well, you know, the, yeah. one of the terrible things about, um, I don't particularly like Joe Biden, but it was very... Uh, it was unfair that the whole Afghanistan failure was blamed on him like it was his fault. The Doha Agreement was signed by Trump. Like, it was... <laughs> it was like his fault. It's like, he's the guy that comes in on the on the 80th minute of the game kind of yeah. thing. It's like, and, and, and all these others, you know, Bush got re-elected on a, you know, Obama got re-elected and... Um, uh, uh, yeah, and it wasn't really... Easy. He probably did the right thing, I think, to w- withdraw, but... Um, uh, but that's the terrible thing about politics. It becomes somebody, as long as you can draw it out and put out the positive messages, uh, you can get out of it and the next guy is going to be blamed. And it's a very un, it's a very unhealthy system. Well, it's quite incredible because Trump got a lot of popularity for signing the Doha Agreement and you know, withdraw and kind of pulling yeah. back American presence. And then he lost the 2020 election and then Biden comes in and so Trump gets all the popularity from the withdrawal. Biden actually yeah. deals with the consequences of the withdrawal and like you said, like it's not a black it's and a white issue. It's a perfect storm. Like, yeah, I know. And it's um, funny because most of the, uh, yeah, I know, it, it looked really bad for him but yeah, it was, um, yeah, no, Trump signed it and most people in the military could see that it was the right thing to do mm. um, because it was just going to be a forever war and it wasn't really, it, 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 apart from the ego thing, it was, it, it, it wasn't really. It, it, it was damaging the American brand for not, for not really achieving much. Mm. Um, and um, uh, I think the soldiers could see that. One of the uh, uh, there's a very good movie about it called Retrograde, which you might have seen about the, the the final drawdown. And even though it's very beautifully made, it's a fantastic documentary. And the guy takes tremendous risks because he's with the Afghans uh, right till the very end. The, mm. the Afghans we were paying. Um, before the Taliban come and they're, and they're encroaching. <laughs> the guy's kind of getting the radio messages. Every, the West Wall's fallen. The East Wall's fallen. Everyone's here. And he's like, oh, fight on, fight on. Um, but, and the kind of message was, the political message was, oh, we shouldn't have left, kind of thing. But I mean, uh, you know, we should have. The, the, the public spoken, mm. and if the, the country's going to get whatever, we, we've got to stop trying to think, oh, we need to impose. If we don't like a particular government, well, therefore they must be wrong. But if the Afghans want it, that's, you know. That is who, democracy. Who will we yeah, <laughs> to say? Um, whatever we think of it, whether it's not our business. Mm. And um, uh, that was the re- and one of the problems you get, it was believing our own propaganda. We liked to, we used to say, oh, the, like the brainwash thing, oh, they're all, the only Taliban supporters are brainwashed. Everybody hates the Taliban, oh, yeah. That's what we wanted to believe. And we began to use, this is kind of a technical thing, but we started to use our propaganda for intelligence purposes in the sense that it becomes this, you know, short-circuited system where we really believe that nobody liked the Taliban, you know, yeah. uh, because that's what we told that people. And so that, uh, that pervasive yeah. ideology actually infiltrates intelligence. Like yeah, they start yeah. believing their they own... Start be- they start re- not knowing the difference between propaganda and intelligence. And, um, and so then... Um, they're like, oh my god, the whole country's, you know, the same happened in in Iraq, you know, uh, where they didn't predict the failures of American intelligence of fame. They didn't predict the 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 oh sorry the Iran revolution. They didn't predict the mm. sort of fall of the Berlin Wall, the Arab Spring, mm. <laughs> because they're things that they just don't want to believe. Too busy so organizing not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> they're too busy telling the boss everything's great. Don't yeah. worry. You know, it's it's going to be the same tomorrow, and um, uh, yeah, that was that was a real problem. But I mean, you, you, again, you, you almost despair of saying it to you because it, you, you kind of think that the, uh, I may as well be speaking Chinese. No one really cares. Nothing's really going to change. And mm. that was always been, as you pointed out, my biggest problem. It's not about the past, not about flogging a dead horse, but it's about the future. And if we don't change mm. our way of doing things, and if we keep on just saying, oh, put out good news messages all the time, mm. you know, uh, pretend everything's going well, we're going to 
walk straight into the next war with China, mm. um, who are going to be a little bit harder to beat than people with flip-flops and AKs. Mm. And um, that attitude of, of just put out good news messages regardless of the truth is, is going to get a lot of people killed. And it's interesting as well because like, so having, like when I flipped through the Afghan files, like the whole argument, and I don't want to divulge the court case too much, um, but the whole argument is that it's a national security risk. If the Afghan files showed, I don't know, like the master code to the cabins at the great Aussie Bush camp, then sure, like yeah, <laughs> throw it to the gallows. But um, a lot of it was just, was based documentation of war crimes um, where, like, where would you see the future for Australia's national security going into the 2020s? As we said, Vietnam was a huge event in the 60s because it was a wow, a war. Now we're kind of pretty worn down by the concept of war, but also a kind of concern about rising China. Where do you see the future for Australian national security? Yeah, look, it's a good question, and I have to be careful about it in the sense that obviously I'm. <clears throat> uh, It'd be a perception of bias, put it that way, hmm. and um, uh, which I accept a lot. But I, but I am glad to try and raise it to say uh, I think it's in a precarious position because it's, uh, as you pointed out, you don't have to be me or or even anyone with any great experience to realise that the national security card was largely played in my case in order to beat me, to, hmm. in order to win. Oh, we can't have the you know the, the judge or the, the jury and because they hated me so much because I sort of embarrassed them and I said a lot of public things about them being a substandard organization but you, the idea that what happened on a on a hillside in Afghanistan 10 years ago could possibly um, really damage uh, uh, embarrass us sure but mm. yeah it's it, we, it's not truly classified and actually it should they said oh it must be um damaging to national security because anything classified secret is classified secret because it's national it will damage if it's released could damage our national security now of course the converse was true um it should never have been classified secret because some of it was like where are the toilets in in Tarancot and anything <laughs> anything to do with Tarancot or Afghanistan. The, Af- the op slipper was classified secret, every single thing, and so um, it, these things shouldn't be shouldn't have been classified secret because they didn't their release would not have damaged national security. But um, so it, it became the sort of tail wagging the dog and. Uh, yeah, because they wanted to beat me, and there's some things that were never even, never even shown to the judge, never even, which weren't necessarily. I have to be careful to do with Afghanistan. Well, they weren't to do with Afghanistan, but I won't say much about what they were weren't to give to mm. do with. But um, you can never, you'll never, you don't, you can never put it this way. You can never win an argument by saying, unfortunately, anymore. That's not truly national security. That's just a government crime that you're trying to hide. Mm. Uh, the government has all the cards and they can say, no, it's national security and the judge has to agree with them. So, And if we kind of divulge on this any further in a public arena, that is compromising our national security. Yeah, yeah. We which could, is, all be, we could probably all be arrested tonight and while we might eventually get out of jail, we, you might spend years fighting the charges because it's so much weighted in mm. their, in their, you know, on their side. Like, there are plenty of people on national security charges probably. I mean, you, you guys are quite... I, I don't, uh, you know, often play the sort of what privileged thing but I mean oh, no, we, if, grew up, we grew if, up in Scamoville where yeah. <laughs> if, if, if we were if we were Islamic uh, we could easily you know get a, there were probably plenty of Islamic guys who have done time mm. uh, for really running an equivalent of a podcast mm. um, but uh, because it's so kind of weighted and um, anything to do with um, uh, you, 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 you can classify another thing as national there's no adult supervision I guess is what mm. I'm going to say and that is one of the problems uh, I was I imagine that there would be um, when I first joined up you'd think that there'd be some uh, somebody you could appeal to or there'd be some senior white-haired guy in, mm. in Asia or whatever who would say oh he's not a he's not a terrorist he's maybe a whistleblower dissenter or whatever but you can't 
you know, go out there and use anti-terrorist activity. There isn't such a guy. Mm. In fact, if someone like Mike Pizzullo said, you know, he's an enemy of the uh, enemy of the of the government. We need to get re-elected. He's an election liability. Go and put him in jail, uh, even though he's a YouTuber or whatever. Mm. That's the, the the problem. It's not only there's no adult supervision. There's no there's no limit to how they can use. It's a game to them, and they will mm. use laws designed to lock up truly dangerous people, mm. to lock up uh, dissenters who just don't, you know, want to expose crime. Mm. And there isn't any... That's why a whistleblower protection authority could be good. Again, it might be quite flawed, but we do we do need to have uh, checks and balances on the government, and at the moment we don't have any. They just see it as a game... Um, uh, the kids in the toy store and the national security apparatus is, is just a, a way for them to stay in power. So if, say, there was a hung parliament, David McBride runs as an independent, and whether it be Liberal or Labor, part of the kind of deal to negotiate the hung parliament is they make the independent David McBride uh, the defence minister or foreign minister. Yeah. What would you do in that situation to change? Which one would I choose? Well, this is maybe they made a hybrid role, defence and foreign minister. <laughs> you have the power. <laughs> Nearly as powerful as Ben being vice captain of our primary school. Excited. I'm getting excited already. It's my big moment. Yeah, well, it, it, it wouldn't be easy. Of course, the big the big question is that uh, it's not even alliance anymore. And I think that they they mean well, and the people that do it, I, I don't. I've never really met anybody who is who is actually a Bond villain. In, and and they do kind of think that oh, I, I, it, it's almost the secret of it is in that our military is so small. I mean, it really is quite small. It's about five, effectively, five fighting regiments. That, you know. Tanks and infantry and whatever could actually get on the ground and do something. In effect, we couldn't really defend Darwin. We might be able to defend Darwin. We certainly can't defend Australia. There's just not enough people and enough assets. There's about, you know, you can see most of the Australian Navy in Sydney Harbour at any one time, and three of those boats won't be working. Mm. Um, it's. Uh, yeah. So the idea, I guess, in, in some sort of real politic way is we can't defend ourselves. We need America to do it. Uh, therefore, we'll just toady to America and that's how we defend ourselves. That, 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 that kind of, I'm not saying that's not, that's not completely wrong, but the problem is we can't completely trust America and that, not because they're bad people or anything, but we don't vote in their elections. We do, obviously, they... And you can't blame them for this. Their foreign policy and their thing is to look after America, mm. not look after Australia, yeah. not look after assets. I mean, it, it's not. If we were America, would we look after Australia? No, no, of course mm. we wouldn't. We would do what's right for us, what the people that voted for us want, what our donors want, and. We just, it doesn't mean we have to go to war with America, but we need to have some sort of check and balance to say we're not utterly beholden to you and, and you cannot take us for granted. I think Australia, I would like to see Australia be effective. We could punch so much more weight in the world if we were an independent nation and we were not necessarily a lot against the Americas, not aligned to them. And, and, and and we could be the peacemaker and we mm. could say we could be the perfect go-between between, between America and China um, and uh, we would actually have quite a lot of clout like like the like the hypothetical David McBride um, and, or even Brian Harradine before your time who was this crazy sort of Tasmanian senator who mm. held a lot of power because he had the power, the power. <laughs> but yeah but we could be that country and we've always who doesn't want you know international sort of credibility mm. and we could do that by actually and we're very educated we're very smart in this country and we could do it by um, uh, we'd survive no one could really cut us off we've got agriculture here we've got we've got fantastic minerals we could rebuild industry. Um, we could be the, the sort of peacemaker, the sort of like huge Singapore of, of this area where we're not we're not owned by anybody, mm. um, and uh, we can uh, actually call call things as we see it. And if the if the U, either the US or China is overstepping the mark, we could say, well, we could use sort of soft power to. Uh, 
to pull them back in. I think it's a very exciting thing. I'd, I hope that that does happen one day. I don't mm. think it's impossible. Um, it's impossible on the present trajectory, but um, and um, maybe when I get released from prison in however many years, that will happen, and we can do it together. You'll have to get your giraffe mask. Okay. <laughs> hey, maybe you can go to Parliament and get giraffe mask. <laughs> that would be a statement. <laughs> you should run for Bob, for the giraffe guy. As a lot of campaign posters yeah, around there. Posters, giraffe. <laughs> can we? Yeah, if we move to an era where like it's a slogan. If I play, if I played the national security card, could I potentially <laughs> the yeah you know, secret identity? Yeah, that? it's a risk for me to actually have my real face exposed in office permanently. Can I just be a permanent giraffe in office? No one would like the giraffe to be locked up. I mean, you could campaign for the giraffes to be released from Toronto, <laughs> or from the Healthy Harold van. <laughs> um, what? Well, speaking of one final question, I do want to ask you before we yeah. wrap this one up. Um, how can we best support David McBride during the current season? That's a beautiful thing to ask. I do have a GoFundMe. Um, I always need money. I thought um, I hate having to ask for it, but it looks like I've got a little bit more of um, uh, time before I have to face the music. And um, uh, any any uh, from five dollars to, to more is greatly appreciated. Um, I'm so grateful to the people of Australia. Um, right to your local member, I guess, watch my videos. I'm, I'm very grateful for anybody that's listened to this. I'm, and I, I hate to ask people um, uh, for help, but I, and read my book. That's what, yeah. that's what I finally <laughs> that's got. That's what I was thinking. I was trying to give you a leading answer. question there. <laughs> I know. I'm getting tired. Yeah, read the bloody book. That would be really good. Um, and uh, buy it for your Uncle Bert. Give it to your three-year-old niece. She'll enjoy it. And um, give it to Christmas. It hasn't really sold the sort of amounts I would like it to sell. So everyone kind of uh, help. It is pretty good. It's a pretty funny book. It deals with everything from the convicts to um, to the present day and uh, in between many of my uh, failures and my primary school things that are still chewing me up. <laughs> So the listeners of this podcast will enjoy it, even yeah, for the primary school. Don't feel any shame about asking for money. We ask for money every week for our Patreon, <laughs> where we specifically talk about our primary school failures. So you're really People just walking like in our it. footsteps. Yeah. People like it. Um, well, and I want to thank you well, and, and, and for doing this podcast and having me on and for all your listeners. This uh, it, it, it sounds kind of corny, but this stuff is, is powerful. It's important. You're just good people talking about issues and laughing, and that's um, it, it's not being forced to think any particular way or by any sort of commercial sponsor. Um, it's actually uh, something homegrown, and, and I, I, I'm really... Yeah, grateful for for doing it and grateful for your listeners. No, the privilege has been all ours, David. Thank you so much for coming on. And we will make sure to, well, for anyone listening, make sure to buy the book for Christmas. Get it for anyone. If you've stuck for Secret Santa ideas, perfect. Get the book. Nature of Honour, available at the airport and every other bookstore. (laughs) And also uh, we might might come back on and do a trivial pursuit. How's that? Oh, and see whether you've read it and you can talk about what went wrong in primary school. The <laughs> 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 pebble incident. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that could be uh, it could be quite a good one. So well, thank you so much. No, the has been allowed. Thank you so much, David. Okay. Cheers, David. Right. Thank you.